Welcome to Broadway World Some Like a Pop Podcast. I am Matt Tamanini, Broadway World Senior TV and Film Critic. And as always, I am joined by the brains of our operation, Broadway World TV's Los Angeles Bureau Chief, and our resident network hater, Jennifer McHugh. Jen, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, you can follow Jen on Twitter at EponineQ, that's E-P-O-N-I-N-E-Q. And you can follow me at Matt. that's B-W-W-M-A-T-T. And you can read us both across various Broadway World sites. Not only can you find episodes of Sun Like It Pop on Broadway World, but you can also now find us on iTunes and Stitcher. So go to one or both of those apps, subscribe to Sun Like It Pop so you can get the newest episode as soon as it's released, then share it and encourage everyone that you've ever met to do the same. Now, Jen, you have mentioned a number of times on this show... That despite the fact that this network has brought you shows that I know you love, like The West Wing and Friends, The Office, Parks and Rec, and many more, you have a deep-seated disdain for the National Broadcasting Company, and I don't know why. So after teasing it for months, I want to know why you hate NBC. I do hate NBC, and it did actually start back in the glory years. I am a huge diehard Friends fan to this day, and um, it actually started, I believe, with ER. Um, their promos for the next week's episodes always gave away the big spoiler for the following week. And it started driving me crazy. So I stopped watching the previews. And after that, um, they would just nauseate the commercials with promos and upcoming and it, their advertising just made me crazy. After that, they had a decline in all the shows. I think after Friends and The Office and The West Wing went off the air, it just went downhill. I'm not interested in reality at all. I started watching some of their shows, and I just think that the decline in their writing was just horrible. And I was a big fan of Community, and they just dicked around with that for a while, too. And I just have grown to hate them over the years. And so once my final show that I watched on it ended, which I believe was Parks and Rec, I decided just to not watch their shows anymore. So in your epic spreadsheet of the 20 shows that you watch on a weekly basis, there is not one in the network column that says NBC. There is one. Can you guess what it is? Um, I feel like I should, but I, uh, Saturday Night Live? That is correct. Okay. That almost doesn't even count. Like I, that... I agree. Did you watch last night? I did not watch Ronda Rousey last night. Did you? I did, yes. I always, I always watch them Sunday mornings. It was okay. You know, it's always interesting when athletes host because there are the great ones and there are the ones that are like, man, eh, they didn't do too bad. But yeah. um, they're never the best episodes, I think. Well, I was really interested because obviously when you talk about athletes, probably nobody in recent memory has been as good as Peyton Manning. That's but I, I'm, I'm, I was interested because Ronda Rousey is transitioning while she is still she, – she lost her last fight, but she's still at the top of – mixed martial arts but she is transitioning to an acting career she's got a couple of movies coming out people are really pushing for her to be uh captain marvel in the captain marvel movie that's going to be released from uh uh disney and marvel in a few years so i was interested to see how she did in that in that world i don't think she was bad i with with most episodes of saturday night live i don't think it was her fault i don't think she was given a lot to show off on um she did do a really funny sketch on bullies that i enjoyed thoroughly and it was just like any typical episode of, of Saturday Night Live. There's a few winners. There's a lot of misses. Weekend update is why you tune in and for the good nights. You know, those are my favorite parts. The way it's said properly is WNBC. WNBC. <clears throat> WNBC. You hear that kind of lift? The NBC. WNBC. 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 In my mind, I'm hearing, I'm, it sounds like I'm saying exactly no, what you're saying. No. All right. Over the first five months of doing this show, Jen and I have discussed our differing opinions on comedies so much uh, that I've actually thought about changing the name of our show to You Thought That Was Funny. <laughs> I kind of like that. <laughs> you kinda, it's, yeah, I think it's a good name. It's actually a good name. <laughs> However, we are not going to beat that dead horse uh, today. We've beaten it enough. We're going to move on from there, but we are going to talk about a few new comedies that are debuting in late January, maybe one or two that have already debuted. And Jen, since you have clearly made your feelings on NBC quite clear, I am going to start by telling you that since I know you haven't gotten around to watching the screeners for NBC's You, Me, and the Apocalypse, don't waste your time. Yeah. Uh, 
I had really high hopes for this show. It stars Jenna Fisher, uh, Rob Lowe, Megan Mullally, uh, a British actor named Matthew Banton, and many, many more. There's a lot of familiar faces on the show. And as you can probably guess from the title, it revolves around the impending end of the world. The series debuts on NBC this Thursday, the 28th, but it's already aired all 10 episodes of its season in the UK back in the fall. Um, the network sent critics the first five episodes, but I could not make it past the third. It is, they're billing it as a comedic drama, but in the three episodes, I didn't laugh once, so it failed as a comedy. And I couldn't care less about any of the characters, so it failed as a drama as well. The pilot opens, and we find out that 15 people are in an underground bunker designed to withstand a, a an oncoming meteor that is projected to wipe out all of the Earth's population. We know that Matthew Banton's character, who's the show's narrator, is there in the bunker, but we only kind of learn who else is there as the episodes uh, unfold. It's kind of like uh, those Gary Marshall Valentine's Day New Year's Eve movies where there's like 174 disjointed storylines that only come together as the plot pays out. Unfortunately, like very few of them are at all compelling. I don't want to spoil too much because it is a very um, spoilery type show, a lot of different twists and turns. So I don't want to spoil too much, but I really like uh, Matthew Banton's character, Jamie. He's the lead, but we don't see enough of him. And I love the idea for Rob Lowe's character. As you've probably seen in the previews, Rob Lowe plays a priest, which is funny in itself. Uh, but he's a priest that works at the Vatican, and his official title is, I kid you not, the devil's advocate. It is his job that during the canonization process for someone to become a saint, it is his job to disprove that somebody deserves to become a saint, which is hilarious. I have no idea if that's an actual position. I highly doubt it. I went to 12 years of Catholic school and I've never heard of that. Um, but it's a great idea for a character. Unfortunately, not much comes of it. I like the concept of the show. I like the structure of the show, but the execution just misses on every imaginable level for me. So, you know, I gave it your, Jen, your three episode rule and it did nothing for me. If it does something for somebody else, good for them. But for me, uh, you, me and the apocalypse is not worth the time. Now, are you, in your opinion, because of what you said and our disagreements on comedy, do you honestly think it's bad or do you think it's something that I would like, which is not always mutually exclusive? Right. No, I do. I, this is not this is not something that I think, oh, I didn't like it because the characters are jerks. That's not really the case. The characters aren't bad people. I mean, there's there's a villain or two in the show, but they're supposed to be the villain. It's not like the people you're supposed to root for are heinous people. It's just not a very good show, I don't think. And this is the type of thing that I thought I would really enjoy. I thought I would like it more than you would, but it's not very funny. Uh, Megan Mullally plays, again, I don't want to spoil too much, but she's incarcerated alongside Jenna Fisher, and Megan Mullally plays a, a white separatist who has a swastika tattooed on her forehead, and she looks, Megan Mullally looks really, really rough. I don't know what they did to her, gave her some fake teeth and some nasty makeup. She looks rough, but it's just, I, it's not funny. I mean, I... It, the first episode was okay, and it went downhill in the next two for me. So I would I, I, I would be interested to see if you watched the pilot and if you watched any of them, what you thought. But for me, it was a complete swing and a miss. Hmm, very interesting. Yeah. So I know it was I, – I think you were – you had some high hopes for it, right? I did. I mean, I love Megan Mullally. I just think she's wonderful. And, and Rob Lowe is – you know, it's really hard to be disappointed by his performance. Right. So, I mean, I feel like it feels like it has all the elements, but then, exactly. you know, you sprinkle in some NBC and look what happens. <laughs> sprinkle in some NBC. I like that. We might need to keep that as a drop to use in future episodes. Um, on a, the complete opposite side of the comedic spectrum from You Mean the Apocalypse is Angie Tribeca. This show debuted last week on TBS and one of the most interesting stunts I've seen in a while the first season consists of 10 30-minute episodes. So TBS aired the entire five-hour first season consecutively five times over 25 hours. They played it kind of like a, um, a telethon and had some of the stars answering phones during it. It was really, really interesting, really funny. Uh, the series stars Rashida Jones and is created and produced by Steve and Nancy Carell. Rashida uh, plays a LAPD detective, and the show is very much in the vein of Police Squad, The Naked Gun, Airplane, and things like that. It is stupid. 
but it is also brilliant at the same time. And I loved everything about it. I've watched the first six episodes and I normally, and Jen, I think you're the same way when I'm watching something, I'm generally working as well or surfing Twitter or something. This is a show that in my opinion, you cannot do that with because the sight gags are just as funny as what they're, is what they're saying. And the reactions and the deadpan, you have to be watching and listening and paying attention. Like I said, I watched the first six episodes and there was a little bit of a lull around three and four, but from there on out, four, five and six were great. I thought the pilot was fantastic. There's guest stars in each episode um, that are really, really fun. And Jen, I know you watched the pilot. So what did what did you think of Angie Tribeca? I really loved it. I mean, um, I'm a huge fan of that genre, like the airplane-esque kind of humor. And I really don't feel like it's been done well in a really long no. time. And um, probably since like the Naked Gun years, the early Naked Gun years. Yeah. And just from the very first opening sequence with her workout regime in the morning, I was like, oh, (laughs) this is brilliant. Because, I mean, obviously, Steve and Nancy Carell know what they're doing. So I feel like it's really smart. And to be that stupid and funny, I feel like you have to be really smart. And so I'm excited to watch more. I just haven't had time. Yeah, you're absolutely right. To be as dumb as this show is, you have to be brilliant because that's not an easy thing to pull off and not be completely obnoxious about it. Um, it's smart. It's it's knowing. But what's great about it is, is the actors all play it completely straight. And that's what's great about, about spoofs. So much of the time, the recent spoofs like you talked about are things like the scary movies or, you know, there's one coming out, um, Fifty Shades of Black. Those are you know, the Wayans brothers have kind of made a career off those in, the, in in recent years. Those are just dumb movies and they're dumb spoofs. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not this. This is those type of movies done by super intelligent people. And I loved it. And they've already renewed it for a season two. So I'm really, really excited to see what they come up with next. I do th- it makes it 10 times funnier when they're just so committed to it and yeah. acting. I mean, the one one of their cops is a dog. His name yes, is Dave. And, He's an actual character. And yes, and there is no dog. no explanation. Yeah, no explanation. That's not. He's not a, a a canine police dog. He is just a dog. And throughout the, the the episodes that I've seen, you see him typing. You see him arguing with other characters. Never addressed. Never addressed. It's brilliant. And, and the names of some of these characters. The names are amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's really really good. Our partner so, is Jay Giles. Like right there. I'm like. Come well, on. and. The dog's partner is DJ Tanner. I mean, oh my god, Love come you. on, yeah, it's 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 great. So if you haven't watched it, they are now after they've already showed all ten episodes on TBS. They are now doing one a week. You can get them all on demand. Um, I I saved them all in my DVR, uh, but they are on demand as well. So highly highly recommend Angie Tribeca. Jen, there are some comedies that are coming up that you wanted to talk about. What do you got on your list? Well, uh, I just wanted to give a shout out to It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia returning for the uh, season 11. And Holy crap. They haven't missed a beat. And I, I'm guessing you don't like the show because they're all despicable. But they, I, I honestly don't think I've ever seen a full episode. They just continually make me laugh. And their season three episode of this season is a comment, a parody to 80s ski slope movies. And I was <laughs> on the floor I was so impressed. They even had an actor from an 80s ski movie, Dean Cameron from Ski School, guest star in the episode. And it was such a subtle thing. Like, there's so few people that are going to get these references. And I love that they just don't play to the general public. It's just, it just looks like they're having a good time and entertaining each other. 11 years in and they're just having a blast. Yeah, that's good. All right, what else you got? Looking forward to uh, a show coming out on Netflix, premiering on the 19th starring Jillian Jacobs or Gillian Jacobs Gillian called yeah. love and oh, yeah. it's produced by Judd Apatow. And I just watched the trailer because Netflix, you know, released all their upcoming show dates and it just looks really interesting. And I don't know a lot about it, but I just saw the trailer and it kind of looked interesting to me. Have you heard anything about it? I have. They had the TCA press tours, which we'll talk about later uh, in the episode. And it does sound like it's a show that you will like and that I will not because I don't think they're necessarily very good people. But with Judd Apatow behind it and Gillian Jacobs, it's I'm sure it's going to be funny and it's going to have an audience. I usually like everything Judd Apatow does. And, and Gillian Jacobs was she's from Community, right? Yes. Yeah, I don't know much about her, but she did well on that show. So there's definitely going to be an audience for it much more 
you as an audience than me. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. Uh, the other two shows I watched for, from screeners were two new shows on FX. One is Baskets <laughs> uh, with Zach Galifianakis. It premiered, um, what was it, the 21st, whatever day that was. Was that Wednesday or Thursday? That was Thursday. And there is one thing you can never accuse Zach Galifianakis of. It is ripping someone else's idea off because this is bizarre. But I can't decide if it's hilarious or tragic or maybe it's both. But it, he is playing a guy whose only dream is to be a clown. And like a serious like a French serious, clown. He's yeah. in a, an academy in France to study to be a clown. He speaks no French. And he comes and winds up being a rodeo clown in Bakersfield. And it is so bizarre, but I can't stop watching it. <laughs> I just can't figure out why I like it. It's so weird. Yeah, and this show is not only created by Zach Galifianakis, but also Louis C.K. and and Jonathan Crissel from uh, Tim and Eric, and he's done a bunch of other stuff uh, as well. So it's got some serious comedic chops behind it, not to mention that Louis Anderson is part of the cast. Louis Anderson is part of the cast. He plays Zach's mother. <laughs> and I, I, it's just... It's just so nice to see something really original. And again, kind of like Andrew Tribeca, it's just one of those things that nobody acknowledges. It's just a fact. And they play it very, very straight. And I think the comedy comes in some of the, you know, tragic moments. But it is very fascinating. And I can I can guess that there are people who will think it is the stupidest show ever and hate it. But those are the shows I tend to like. So, yeah. Um, Fair enough. And the other one is Atlanta, which is starring another community alum, Donald Glover. I don't know when it premieres. Do you? I don't off the top of it my head. It didn't say no. on the site, but – and I don't think it's a comedy. It's it's a half an hour show, but it, I there was no comedy. It was very uh, dramatic about an upcoming rapper in the Atlanta um, hip-hop scene. Um, very well done. It's nice to see Donald Glover in a serious role. I think he's got you know the chops all around, but I – don't know if it's a comedy. I guess I'm just assuming it's a comedy because I'm old fashioned. I think half hour comedy or drama, right. but I, I, it'll be interesting to see how they market it because it was very good, but I don't exactly know what it's doing. Well, with all of the different categories for the Emmys and even the Oscar or not necessarily the Oscars, but like the golden globes being blurred so much, you never really understand what people are going to put into what category because the Martian winning for best comedy is absurd and you know shameless kind of walks that line sometimes it's a drama sometimes it's a comedy same thing with orange is the new black so i think it's going to be considered a comedy for emmy purposes because they decided that every half an hour show is a comedy unless they petition to be categorized otherwise so we'll see how they do going forward but that's really interesting that a guy who's known for a comedy is in a show that's a half an hour long but has very little humor in it so that's interesting Yes. And again, I don't know when it premieres. Um, I haven't seen any advertising for it, but it will be soon because the pilot is up on their press site. So I'm hoping to stay tuned for that. Something familiar, something peculiar, something for everyone, a comedy tonight. Something appealing, something appalling, something for everyone, a comedy tonight. Nothing with things. Now I'm going to move away from TV and move into the Oscar nominations, which have dominated uh, the entertainment talk since they were released uh, about a week and a half ago. Um, we're first going to talk about some of the, uh, the snubs and surprises and some early predictions before we get into the big mammoth talking point about the Oscar nominations, which is the lack of diversity. But we want to get the trivial stuff out of the way before we dive into that. Jen, just what are your thoughts looking at them, whether it's things that you're surprised got nominated, things that you surprised didn't get nominated? What did you? What were your big takeaways from the Oscar nominations? Well, I don't think we've made a secret of it that we didn't like the movie Carol, so I don't know why they're um, being acknowledged. I'm glad it didn't get a Best Picture nod. But I think I would agree with the general public that I don't understand why Straight Outta Compton didn't get a Best Picture nom. Well, especially when there's they have the capacity to do 10 Best Picture nominees and they only did eight. So it's really interesting that they left two spots open for things that could have been in there. Yeah. And um, I think that 
Johnny Depp was really good in Black Mass, um, but Idris Elba in Beasts of No Nation, I mean, that's where I'm going to kind of jump on the what is what is going on with the Academy when he can't get a nod for that. I don't know what you have to do to get an Oscar nomination if you can turn in a performance like that and not even be acknowledged. Yeah, especially in the Best Supporting Actor category where there are some good performances, but I don't feel like any of them had to be nominated. You know what I mean? Like there's the, in the Best Supporting – and I did not watch Beasts of No Nations because you told me – It's horrific. W- yeah, it's horrific, and that's not the type of things that I like to watch unless I absolutely have to. But in the supporting actor category, you got Christian Bale for The Big Short, which is a fine performance. I have no problem with him being nominated, but if he wasn't, I wouldn't be upset. Same thing with Tom Hardy in The Revenant. Mark Ruffalo in Spotlight is kind of the default one to get nominated from that cast. I know that Rachel McAdams did it as well, but I didn't, wouldn't have felt awful if he didn't get nominated. Mark Rylance, as much as I love any... Tony winner, multi-Tony winner getting nominated for an Oscar. Okay, for Bridge of Spies. Sylvester Stallone is as much more a sentimental pick, but other than that, nobody had to be in that category. So if Idris Elba would have been in there, I think it would have been, no one would have been upset about it. I think the biggest snub in that category is Jacob Tremblay from Rome. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, it's it, he he's won a couple of awards already, and it's, it's, it's no... Sh- secret that the academy likes to nominate young kids and stuff all the way going back to Anna Paquin and all those things. So yeah, that's a really good that's a really good call. I like you, I was pleased that Carol and Sicario, two movies that I did not get, I I was not on the bandwagon with and I know you weren't either. I was glad they didn't get nominated, but I was really I was really disappointed that there were only 8 nominees. I think you could have put Straight out of Compton in there. You could have put Inside Out. There's a lot of movies that could have done well and deserve to be in there that aren't. Um, in terms of the nominations, you know, across the board, and maybe this is where we blend into the Oscars So White conversation, there it just isn't anything that really feels like it has to be there. There are no performances that just you see and like, oh my God, that has to be a nominee. Uh, you take Brie Larson out. And I don't know that I would have been that upset if anybody wasn't nominated. So when you have people like Samuel L. Jackson, who I thought was the best part of my favorite movie of the year, not get nominated, you're like, huh, that's kind of weird. Um, I thought Michael B. Jordan, he could have been nominated. I don't know that he necessarily had to be nominated. So there are places where you could have had um, actors of color get nominated. Even even Oscar Isaac, who is, is he Armenian? Um, he's um, Venezuelan. Venezuelan, that's right. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, he's Venezuelan. You know, he probably, I thought he deserved a nomination for Ex Machina as long as, as well with the 27 other movies he was in this year. So I think there were opportunities for that. But I don't, you know, I don't know all 2,000 plus members of the Voting Academy. So I don't want to say that they are racist or they have any problem with that. I think the issue with not having people of color nominated is much more systemic than it is individual. When you go to the studio system, for whatever reason, studios don't greenlight movies that are often led by people of color or women. Now we've seen a few more female led movies get greenlit recently and do very well. In fact, some of them are nominated for Academy Awards. But especially when you do get movies with African Americans or Latinos or, or Asian Americans get greenlit, they're very rarely the prestige films that contend for these awards. So I think that's as much a problem as anything else. And then the other side of that is is I saw a, an infographic earlier this week that like 90% of the voting academy is white. 70% is male. I am a white male. I can acknowledge that that is a problem. Um, so I'm, I'm applauding the Academy of uh, Arts and Motion Arts and Sciences, whatever the heck it is, for saying that they're going to go out and add different members to make it more representative of the movie watching public. But to me, the problem is not necessarily with this year saying this person should have been nominated. This person shouldn't or saying individual members are racist. I think it is a systemic institutional racism problem that has to be addressed in Hollywood. I agree. And I don't think it's anything new. I think the campaign is that why is it still happening? I mean, I asked that question when do the right thing wasn't nominated for best picture. And that was 1989. So one of my top five favorite movies that we talked, which about. which I know. Yes. But in a, in a year when 
that wasn't even nominated right. and that was nearly 20 years ago, nothing has changed. So I like that they're putting, I want to say the word term limits on membership in the academy um, is, is a good step forward. And I, I hope that the, it helps next year to be a little bit more well-rounded. But again, they need to start providing scripts, you know, like they're, they're like you said, it's, it is systemic and they need something to work with. They're not going to just hand out nominations because there's people of color that should right. be nominated. And I don't think anyone's saying that. I don't think that there's anybody behind the whatever Oscars so white or whatever you want to say. I don't think there's anyone saying there needs to be a quota because that's not productive. Correct. What they're saying is, is that the chances for filmmakers of whatever artistic background uh, of color to make movies that should get recognized, they're just not there. The opportunities aren't there. Correct. Any other thoughts? Any, what do you think in early predictions? Anything that you think is, is a lock? Anything that you're unsure of? Uh, locks? I think Leonardo, Brie, and Sylvester are pretty much locks. The only one that's up in the air for me is supporting actress. And like you said, I don't care. Like, there's nothing in that category where I'm like, she really deserves it. But it's so it's just whatever. The only one I'm really rooting for is Mad Max. I think it'd be really cool if that won Best Picture. Yeah, I I think that that it's going to come down to Mad Max and Spotlight. I think Spotlight is going to get it. I'm not sold enough yet uh, to say it's a lock, but I think it's one of those pictures that everybody respects that it's going to be hard for them to vote for a action movie based on a Mel Gibson, you know, film from the nineties over that. I think it's going to be close. I think it's gonna be closer than people expect, but I'm for right now, I'm going to go with spotlight. And if Brie Larson doesn't win, they should stop giving out Oscars because in that category, she is head and shoulders giving the best performance of the year. Great. And I don't think we should count the big short that did take home the producers guild last night. And I think that that is usually a good precursor to where the uh, voters are leaning. Yeah. And I love big short. Don't, don't get me wrong. I think I actually ranked that higher than spotlight on my year end list. I, I love the big short, but <laughs> Can you imagine a movie directed by Adam McKay winning Best Picture? <laughs> that in itself is kind of worth it. Yeah, I, well, if it does, I will be fine with it. I will be fine with any of those three. I can't see anything other than those three winning. I know we loved Brooklyn. Um, there's some other you know, good movies, The Martian, The Revenant. Okay, whatever. But if I, I think it's got to be Spotlight, The Big Short, or Mad Max Fury Road to, to win that one. Agreed. You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. All right, sticking in the realm of movies, last episode we talked about the TV shows that we were excited to come out in January and February. February for TV is a huge time of the year because it is one of the two sweeps ratings periods. January and February for movies, on the other hand, are not exactly known for high-quality films. One, because it's so cold no one wants to leave their house to go to the movie theater. And two, because all of the big, important prestige movies were released before the end of the year to be considered for the next year's Academy Awards. So, January and February usually are left with the dreck that's left in the studio system. However, there are a few movies that are shining through that both Jen and I are excited about. I will start out, and you're probably going to laugh at me. But I am super excited for Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, and I really have no reason why. My mom loves Pride and Prejudice. It's her favorite book. It's her favorite movie. It's her favorite miniseries. It's her favorite web series, The Lizzie Bennet Diaries. My mom loves everything about Pride and Prejudice. I've never read the book. I think I've seen parts of the movie and the miniseries, and I've seen a play version. So I guess I kind of have that tangentially, but I'm not a huge you know, Jane Austen fan, but something about this I absolutely love. It is basically the same story that you know from Pride and Prejudice, but instead of it just being about will Elizabeth Bennett end up with Mr. Darcy, it's also will she survive a zombie apocalypse. It is uh, coming out on February 5th, so it is coming up right away. It is based on a book by Seth Graham Smith, who adapted, obviously, Jane Austen's public domain original. Uh, uh, Seth Graham Smith is also known for Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, which is a book that I liked and a movie I was disappointed in. So I'm hoping that this movie is a little better. Um, but I'm super excited for Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Lily James from Downton Abbey and uh, Disney's Cinderella live action movie plays Elizabeth Bennet. 
I, I really have no excuse for wanting to see this movie, but I could not be more excited. Yeah, I uh, could not care less. <laughs> I enjoyed Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. I thought the movie was awful, and it was really sad because yeah. it starred... Did, was it Gavin Creel that was the star? Uh, no, it's Benjamin, Benjamin Walker. Wa- Benjamin Walker, who is now getting ready to play... The, the lead character in a musical version of one of my other favorite movie or one of my favorite movies, American Psycho on Broadway. Yes. He'll be playing. Was, um, Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson. Yes, correct. Okay. So I was really excited about that. And that was a huge disappointment. And yeah. I have an extreme hatred for Jane Austen. No offense to Mama Temanini, but That's I right. just think she's awful. So the thought, I mean, inserting zombies, which obviously I adore into an awful book. Sure. But am I going to run out to the theater and see it? No, I don't think so. Uh, I'm My mom does not want to see it. I think I'm going to drag her, and I think I'm going to go with her because I want to see her reaction. But she is not interested in Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. I tried to give her the book for Christmas one year, and she didn't want it. So, <laughs> you know, whatever. All right, Jen, I know you're excited about a movie that probably has as much killing as Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, and that's Marvel's Deadpool. I am. Um, I think I'm a little tired of comic book movies at this point. I think um, Marvel certainly figured out the formula to them, and they sure know what they're doing. But Ant-Man, I thought, was wonderful last year. And then I was kind of like, I think I'm going to take a break. And then I saw the trailer to Deadpool. (laughs) Man, why is this hilarious? Ryan Reynolds is just adorable, and I don't know anything about this character at all. And I was hooked from the trailer. I think he's hilarious. His Instagram post of him in the Deadpool concert costume laying in front of the fire, like everything about it is just, it seems like it's very tongue in cheek, which is my style. And um, yeah, as in this drought of movies in February and March, that will definitely be one that'll get me into the theater. Yeah, Deadpool is, uh, what's interesting, this is part of the x-men cinematic universe so even though it is a marvel movie it is not produced by disney it is produced by 20th century fox so yes it is a marvel character and yes technically it's owned by uh by disney but because of the pre-existing contracts with characters it is not a disney movie so it is a little different so it's hard to kind of keep track but deadpool is basically it's a character that Ryan Reynolds has played before in one of in X Men Origins Wolverine, I think. He's basically a character who had cancer and he had some sort of experimental treatment that gave him superpowers. Which, again, great idea. And Ryan Reynolds, despite the fact that nobody liked the Green Lantern, I thought it was actually a kind of a funny superhero movie. And I could not be more excited for this. I am giddy for this. In fact, I am not a comic book person. But over the past month, because I got some, you know, gift cards to Barnes and Noble, and I got um, coupons for being a member, I started a minor, small graphic novel comic book collection. And one of the first ones I got was Deadpool's uh, minibus instead of the omnibus. It has three of the um, Deadpool comics in it, so I'm excited to read that before I go see the movie. All right, we're gonna go to another one that that I'm excited for. Again, just because it's stupid and I like stupid sometimes, that is the Zoolander 2 sequel um, to the classic 90s, uh, was it 90s or early 2000s, supermodel movie starring Ben Stiller uh, and Owen Wilson. It's dumb. It's idiotic. It has Will Ferrell as a fashion designer. I can't imagine it being any good at all, but I'm really excited. It comes out on February 12th, the same day as Deadpool. And the thing that I love more than anything, and I think you're going to like this too, Jen, is that the great Justin Thoreau mm. recreates his role from the original as the obnoxious DJ. Yes. Um, and Justin Thoreau also wrote Zoolander too. So it's probably not going to be high cinema, but the fact that you throw in Justin Thoreau and Ben Stiller into a writing room together, that's probably going to be pretty good. It was 2001, by the way. Close enough. Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, especially in Oscar season when everything is so heavy and people are being chased by bears and people are being <laughs> shot up in, in haberdasheries. Like, you just sometimes need a stupid comic. It's exactly what you want it to be. 
And if you go in expecting anything more, then that's on you. But yeah. from the second the two of them walked out at Paris's Fashion Week, I was like, okay, yeah, let's do this. It's just, well, it is what it is. If you like it, you like it. If it isn't, you know, then don't go see it. Yeah. And especially, I, I think this is a perfect time with Instagram being so popular for this movie to come out because I really hope that there comes a rash of blue steals on Instagram that will make Instagram actually not obnoxiously annoying between pictures of dogs and food. Well, I think that's what Instagram is. <laughs> yeah, but I don't care about dogs or food that other people are watching. I care about people giving me blue steel. No, I mean, I think Instagram is filled with blue steel, but people aren't doing it ironically. That's why I think Zoolander is great. That's true. And it, and like we said, it's from 2001, so it predates the unironic duck mouth or duck it's face true. or whatever. It's, it's true. Called. All right. There's another movie coming out that uh, actually, when I first saw it, I just assumed it was being released before Oscar season because it looks like an Oscar contender or at least Golden Globe comedy contender. And that is the star-studded Hail Caesar from the Coen brothers. Jen, I know you're super pumped for this one. I am. I saw a preview for it before the movie Sisters, and I hadn't heard of it until that moment. And I saw the word Coen brothers, and I saw George Clooney, and we haven't seen that since Oh Brother, right? Correct. So I'm in. It could be the stupidest movie ever, and they have my money. And yeah, but it's it also looks- got Channing Tatum and Jonah yeah. Hill and Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, um, from it, it looks just fantastic, and I, I love when they do capers, and this is just in their wheelhouse. I'm very excited. It's it's a bright light in a dark month. <laughs> well, and basically the premise is that it's set in, in an old Hollywood studio system, and George Clooney is the biggest star in the world, and he's been kidnapped, and the head of the studio, who I think is Josh Brolin, sends out his best movie stars to go retrieve the star for some reason. And like you said, it's a caper. It's It looks hilarious. I'm really surprised that it wasn't released in awards season, but I hope that's not a precursor to it not being good because I, I think the Coen brothers need a, a good comedy. I've got one more that I'm excited about seeing, and that's, that's the movie Race. It is a biopic of... Olympic gold medalist Jesse Owens, who was an African-American runner in the 1930s, who, despite being told that he shouldn't, he went and competed in the Olympic Games in Berlin that were overseen by Adolf Hitler. And he, you know, I don't think you can really spoil movies that are based on fact. He wins a gold medal, much to Hitler's disdain. Full disclosure, Jesse Owens went to Ohio State, so I have a soft spot for him. But it is truly one of the great American stories. And to see a black man standing on the top of a podium in Berlin with swastika banners hanging around and Adolf Hitler standing there. And I believe one of the other medalists was German. So he's in the the Heil salute. It's pretty powerful even to this day. And I don't know a tremendous amount about Jesse Owens, but the movie comes out on February 19th. And I'm really excited to, uh, to, to learn a little more. I actually do. Um, I remember reading a story about him when I was in second grade and they showed us the picture of Jesse standing on the top and the other two, the bronze and the silver medalists are holding up Heil Hitler and Hitler is in the picture and it that image just stayed with me for a very long time so I've always been interested in Jesse Owens I'm really looking forward to that movie yeah I am too so we've got Pride and Prejudice and Zombies coming out on February 5th along with Hail Caesar coming on February 5th you've got Deadpool and Zoolander 2 on February 12th Um, you've got Race on February 19th did I miss anything well I'm going to cheat a little and I'm just going to say that a trailer dropped on Wednesday that I, if I could have PayPal'd cash right at that moment, it wouldn't have been soon enough for them to take my money. Okay, I'm excited. What is it? That trailer is called Keanu. Oh, I saw you. You tweeted about this. I, it's a Key and Peele movie, right? It is Key and Peele. And, oh my God, I can't even. They are basically uh, Jordan Peele. I don't know their character names. Is going through a breakup. He buys a cat named Keanu. And Keanu is kidnapped by a gang. So Ken Peel, being very um, upper crust African Americans, decide to go undercover into the hood to rescue Keanu. And I, it, it's not suitable for work. And I had my headphones on, and I was not being very coy at how hard I was laughing at this trailer. Um, from the second it starts, I, I love Ken Peel so much. I think they're geniuses, and I am so excited for this movie. It opens in April. 
and I will be the first person in line here in Glendale. <laughs> well, I have a feeling that we are going to uh, be talking about that one again, because I also love Key and Peele. And actually, uh, not to spoil anything, Keegan-Michael Key does appeal, or does, does appeal, Keegan-Michael <laughs> Keegan Key does appear in an episode of Angie Tribeca. So uh, oh, as a great yeah. character with a fantastic name, like we talked about earlier, the names of the characters are great. So cool. We'll be looking forward to Keanu in, in April. All right, we are now going to move into a little game that we've never played before. We've never done really games or, or, or segments, but we're going to try a few now that we are officially on iTunes and, and Stitcher. We're going to try to be cool. We're going to try a segment called High Speed Headlines. The gist of it is, is I'm going to give Jen a headline, and she has 10 seconds to react. She does not know what these headlines are ahead of time, but after 10 seconds, I will play a little sound effect that sounds like this. And she has to stop talking. If I feel the need to respond to what she said, I will. If not, we'll move on. We talked about the TCA press press tour earlier in the episode. All five of these headlines are coming out of the TCAs. If you don't know what the TCAs are, it's the Television Critics Association. They spend about three weeks in L.A. They saw presentations from networks about upcoming shows, about current shows. There were panels with casts and creators, and a lot of big news comes out of that. So, Jen, are you are you ready to try this? Yeah, why not? Okay, a number of shows were renewed uh, at TCAs, including a lot that I know that you enjoy. I'm going to give you names of a few shows and I want you to tell me which one you are most excited that got renewed and why. Let's go with Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Marvel's Jessica Jones, Empire, Younger, Inside Amy Schumer, Shameless, and Billy on the Street. Which one are you most excited got renewed? Your time begins now. Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I wish I could say it. But um, I'm most excited about that because it's very young in its run, and I can't wait to see where they go with it. Everything else is cool, but that's what All I'm right, most that's excited. it. Stop talking. That's good. Okay, good answer. See, this is good. I like how this is going. <laughs> We're good. All right. Let's see here. The next... So I'm really excited to hear about the rest. I didn't know about all of those. Yeah, so they, those are all good ones. I, this is one I don't know if you have a feeling on necessarily, so we're going to see. Fox has ordered a pilot to reboot 24 without either Kiefer Sutherland or Yvonne Strahovski, who played his partner in the recent um, event miniseries. What are your thoughts about 24 without Jack Bauer? <laughs> uh, 24, let it go. It was great while it was. It's not going to be great without Jack Bauer. You know, maybe write some original stuff and not keep rebooting old stuff. Oh, right on time. That was good. You're getting the hang of this. I like it. All right, the next one is that we learned that the that Sam Esmail, who was the creator of Mr. Robot, said that they have not revealed the biggest secrets or the biggest spoilers from season one. There are more things to come out uh, that we didn't learn. Or what do you think is the biggest secret from season one of Mr. Robot that they have not told uh, that they have not told us yet? Your time begins now. That they're all dead. I'm just <laughs> kidding. I have no idea. The whole uh, ghost thing was a surprise to me, so I can only imagine what they're going to throw on us next time. Okay, I didn't even get to 10, so I didn't have to play the sound effect there. Um, okay, here's another one. They've announced that Fargo's third season will be set in 2010, and one familiar face will return. We do not know who that is, but I want to know who you hope returns for season three of Fargo. Go. Oh, well, I got to go with Colin Hanks. He's the best that there is. Although I wouldn't turn my nose up at Allison Tolman because she was a revelation. But either one of those two, I'd be really excited to see. I'm excited to see them continue. Stop. I would love Addison Tillman to come back, but I really want to see Lauren right. Malvo. I, oh, yeah. Lauren Malvo is great. Or you could go with Lester Nygaard. Anyone from that first season I would love to see brought back because we've had some distance between them. And uh, I'd like to see them come back somehow. NBC has announced that they are kind <sighs> of going. I know. I'm sorry I mentioned NBC, but I think you'll like this. They have announced that they are going to have a kind of friends reunion 
in an upcoming special. Um, not all of the original cast members. Matthew Perry won't be there because he'll be in London rehearsing a play that he wrote. But what are your feelings on this quasi Friends reunion? Go. Don't know, don't care. Friends is one of my favorite shows of all time. Why everyone is so anxious to get them back together, I don't understand. It ended. Let it go. Let's all pretend that it's over. Okay. There you go. We had a lot of let it go. I felt like... That's the theme of the show today. Let it go. We could have been sponsored by Frozen. (laughs) Yeah, we we should get Disney as a sponsor. I feel like... All right, another new segment that we're going to try and hopefully maybe end the show with this, kind of our be our little sign-off segment. It's called Show and Tell. Basically, Jen and I will show you a clip. Actually, make since it's a podcast, you'll hear a clip from something. Or maybe if it's a book, we'll read something to you. How cool would that be? Story time. And then we'll tell you why it's something that you should be watching, something that we enjoy, and maybe we don't talk about it enough on the show. So, Jen, why don't you start us off with our very first ever show and tell? Well, this isn't going to be anything groundbreaking. It's something that's been around for a while, but I've recently got into it, and I feel like everybody should be watching it. And it's called Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. Yes. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld, little web series where exactly like it sounds. Well, hold on, hold on. Do people know who Jerry Seinfeld is? Do we have to explain who he is? I think people know who Jerry Seinfeld is. Sorry. If they don't, they probably shouldn't be listening. Um, Jerry Seinfeld had a show back in the glory days of NBC before they went crazy. And what he does is he is a car collector and he picks out a car. He calls up a friend of his and they go have coffee. That's it. And you would think that that is so basic and boring, but they are fascinating conversations. The one I would recommend, as I would recommend all of them because they're all hilarious. But he actually does this with President Barack Obama. And I would highly recommend uh, checking it out. It's a great conversation, as it always is. And um, it's online. I think the website is literally comediansincarsgettingcoffee.com. And there are five or six seasons of it. And check it out. All right, Jen, so let's hear your clip from Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. Uh, you look a little nervous. I'm a little nervous. Are you nervous. always this nervous? No, about? this is a little like different. Like when you're doing it with Fallon and it's uh, not the Letterman. Same. No. It's, it's, not not the same. Same. it's not as stressful. Uh, we're just going to run out for a quick coffee. We'll be right back. I'm sorry, that's not possible. And I do this little show, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. You're a comedian with the president going nowhere. Back it up. Yes, sir. Do you ever think about every person you talk to is putting on an act? A total show. It's a problem. <laughs> Don't you think every American child is a, is a president fan? You grow up loving the president. I do really well with the zero to eight demographic. Oh, really? Yeah, they love me. Partly because I think my ears are big. <laughs> and so I look a little like a cartoon character. Right. And then little kids love saying my name. Right, But it's all one big name. It's Barack Obama. (laughs) It is one of those names that you could compress into one word. Into one word. Yeah, it's good. Barack Obama. It's like a Nickelodeon thing. Well, anything Obama is fun. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Jen, I'm going to talk about this because I know this is something that you will have no desire to ever talk about on our podcast. And that is the upcoming Fox Live musical broadcast of Grease Live. Here's a little promo clip. Grease Live is going to be extremely fun. 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 Beautiful girls. Spunky. Amazing. Classic. Awesome. Very exciting. Leather cars. Heartwarming. Sing along. Musical. Familiar. An absolute whirlwind. Old school, that's one word. We'll just put a hyphen in there. Lighthearty. And Bop Shabbat. A living room, musical, reminiscent throwback party. Grease Live is like a slumber party. Because at a slumber party, you just like let loose, you eat food, you throw pillows, you dance in your pajamas. Grease Live is Grease, one of your favorite movies, but happening in the moment in front of you on your television. You're going to feel like you are in Rydell High with us. Live theater is so exciting. That's what makes Grease Live special, is that it is live, and anything can happen. 
I have never been a huge fan of Greece itself. Uh, I've always kind of thought the idea that Sandy has to become a slut to get people to like her and respect her was a little demeaning, especially when all that Danny had to do was go run track. Uh, I didn't feel like that was a zero sum game there, but I directed a version of, of Greece a few years ago and it really kind of renewed my interest in the piece. When they announced Greece, I was optimistic that they were going to do a good job with this from the beginning. They seem to be making almost nearly perfect decisions along the way. Tommy Kale, who you might know from a little show called Hamilton, is directing Grease Live. He's assembled an all-star cast, which has some people that I wouldn't necessarily have put in there, but it stars Aaron Tveit uh, as Danny, Julianne Huff, who I am not a big fan of as Sandy, Vanessa Hudgens, who I could take or leave as Rizzo, but then it's also got some great other uh, theater people as well. Uh, my friend Ellie McLemore is playing Patty Simcox. I did an interview with her, and she is fantastic, so I'm looking forward to that, but it's also got people like Anna Gasteyer, Boys to Men are playing the Teen Angel. Carly Rae Jepsen's playing Frenchie. Kiki Palmer is playing Marty. It it really seems like they are doing everything right. They have decided to not do what Jen's beloved NBC does with their musicals. There will be a live audience there. There will also be underscoring to scenes. It will be set on a number of different sound stages. So they will be running back and forth with different settings. So I'm really optimistic. My fingers are crossed that Grease Live continues to push forward the art form of the live musical on TV because it's always a good thing when we can get a theater piece on national television and get millions of people to watch it. Okay. All right. I think that was successful. We've tried two segments that didn't completely suck. I think we might be figuring this podcast thing out, Jen. I mean, I think it's a good jumping off point. It's still January. I think by maybe August, we'll we'll be in a rhythm. From your mouth to God's ears, or <laughs> or to Mark Marin's ears, since this is a podcast. <laughs> That's nice. I like yeah, that you like chose Marin over Carolla. I appreciate that. Well, it was honestly in my head. It was between him and Kevin Smith. Oh, okay. Well, still. Yeah, either one would have been fine. I think. All right, Jen. Let's say goodbye. Go for it. That's it for some like it pop for now. I am Eponine Q on Twitter, E P O N I N E Q, and Matt is at B W W Matt. Please follow us for all of our witty tweets as we tweet about life here in America. You can find both of us on Broadway World writing about all of our obsessions. And until next time, wear the eye patch, Brett. Wear the funky, funky eye patch. <laughs> I have no idea what that one is. Flight of the Concords, a tribute to David Bowie. Sprinkle in some NBC and look what happens. Ugh, I was so irritated. Thanks for checking out this episode of Broadway World's Some Like It Pop podcast. You can find all of our previous episodes on broadwayworld.com. You can now find our new episodes on both iTunes and Stitcher. So make sure to subscribe, download, and tweet Jen and me what TV shows and movies you are currently obsessing over. We'll be back in two weeks chatting all things pop culture. Until then, we'll see you around the Broadway world. Broadway world.